My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 71 of the show, where we're just cooking along, just doing Marvel comics, because that's what we do on the show. It's, it's, it's another episode. We have three more comics for you, and these comics were from the merry old month of October 1964. Now, October 1st is our first date, and that was actually my dad's birthday. Oh, so he probably owned these. Yeah, he might have owned these. He, we would have been turning uh, 10 today. So that's pretty great. He's a little bitty Mike Wilson coming running around. I think he went by Mickey when he was a kid. That's the perfect age for Marvel Comics off the rack. Right? Maybe. Maybe. And we are starting with uh, this episode. We're going to cover the three comics that were released on that day, October 1st. And we're starting with the chronologically earliest of the three, which is Journey into Mystery 111 with the mighty Thor. All yours. What? Yeah, pretty sure. I did not sign up for this. <laughs> <laughs> or did I sign up for exactly this? <laughs> yeah, um, but I, I have to do Tales to Astonish, so I think your life's better, maybe. But maybe, we'll see. maybe. You, uh, we had a little bit of difficulty with the cover last time because we we're looking at a small thumbnail version of it. But I actually really like this cover. You have Thor in the foreground fighting Hyde and the, uh, the Cobra. And in the background, Heimdall on a horse on the Rainbow Bridge throws his sword out to help Thor in the fight. It's a pretty great cover. You know, what's cool about it also is I had trouble summarizing what was happening. And then on the caption, it literally says, we drew this so you can't figure out what's happening. Right. You figure it out. Yeah. So I don't even feel like bad about it now. You shouldn't feel bad. Never feel bad about it. They did that on purpose. Yeah. So this is the mighty Thor, the mysterious Hyde, and the serpentine cobra feel the power of the Thunder God. Um, this might not be an all-ages comic, just from the title. <laughs> yeah, and the fe- splash page. If they're feeling his... Oh, yeah. This is, um, this is how some <laughs> movies get started, isn't it? Uh-huh. <laughs> it is written with the mastery of Stan Lee, illustrated with the genius of Jack Kirby, delineated with the delicacy of Schick Stone. I like that delineated with delicacy. Yeah. And lettered with the India ink of Artie Simic. One of the proudest creations of Mighty Marvel's team of talented titans and adventure drenched with glory. So recap for all of you uh, new to the show. Thor, um, he, he has, you know, Jane Foster was injured in a fight last issue or something like that. And at the very end of the issue, he like causes this time warp around her. Because he doesn't know how to heal her wounds, so he has stopped time around her so that she can continue to live without her wounds progressing. And, as we come into this issue, immediately Cobra and Mr. Hyde strike. They basically have uh, Thor in this, like, uh, you know, trick house where all these traps have been going off last issue. Anyways, so they fight, and Thor picks up Jane and uh, tries to get out the door with her and has to fight through some more traps. Meanwhile, outside, the crowd is like, what's this wispy column of stuff around the house? Hey, look, I throw a rock in it and the rock stops. It's as if time doesn't move inside. Regardless of the fact that all of our heroes are moving in the house, we're just going to put that aside. And Odin looks down. Ooh, what is that? That's a strange series of events. Um, And he realizes that he can't stop Thor from loving Jane. He has tried and tried. Love always comes about. He can't stop it. And Baldur's sitting there with his harp saying, you're right. 
So and it's like, okay, so uh, you know what? I actually I remember this one time when um, actually, yeah, Baldur's singing a song and Odin remembers a time when he loved a woman and did a lot of things that he could not, he shouldn't have done because he was not allowed to marry that woman. Now, Loki comes in and is like, Baldur's trying to trick you, Odin. And Odin's like, no. So anyways, uh, <laughs> back on Earth, we catch up with our hero. They are still fighting. And they fight, 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 and they fight, 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 and they fight, 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 fight. Um, back in Asgard, <laughs> Odin writes, um, he he writes a message to the mystic healer, Hardal, the mystic healer, and says, Loki, take this to the healer. It's a remedy for the one called Jane. And Loki's like, fine, I'll take it. <laughs> I had my fingers crossed the whole time. And Balder walks up and says, Loki, Loki, give, give me give me the letter. Because we don't trust you because you're Loki. And Loki's like, curses, foiled again. So Balder rides on his horse to, um, he heads out to Hardall. There's more fighting back on Earth. Um, Odin, not Odin, Thor overcomes Cobra and ties him up. Uh, he's crying over Jane because he can't keep the time warp field up very much longer. Balder manages to get to Hardall the healer after a whole bunch of like booby traps and death traps and all sorts of stuff. And finally, Hardall makes the um, the cure, and uh, Hardall uh, Balder ties the cure with a note to his sword, throws his sword across the dimensions down to Thor. Thor takes the vial, reads the note, and says, "Woohoo! It's Jane's medicine." He feeds it to Jane. The sword magically goes back to his owner. Jane wakes up. Thor, what happened? He's like, "Never mind, dear." Just less, rest your lovely head. Yay, Odin, thank you for saving me. I'll never be bad again. The end. Of all the Thor two-parters we've had, this is by far the best one. It like, actually has story in it. Yeah. They didn't just like undo everything real fast and it was over like they have been. And they didn't just focus on the fight. Because like, if they had just focused on the Thor part of the story, it would have mm-hmm. been really dull. Mm-hmm. But by bringing in the Asgardians and adding more elements to it, that was actually pretty great. Yeah. Um, so let's see. I have my notes over here. Um, yeah. So I made fun of this in the synopsis. If time is standing still inside the warp, how are things happening? Well, see, that's what I when I, when he stood time still last issue. I thought that was going to include Hyde and Cobra, uh, but apparently it just is. The whole house is still able to move, but it's outside of time because these guys are out there tripping on the time vortex. These pedestrians um and they throw a rock in there and the rock just hovers like once it gets inside the field it stops so from their perspective nothing is happening but inside the time bubble they can move around they're just not part they're just not part of the main time anymore because he even says later like i can't keep holding it like this because it's going to start creating time displacement throughout the universe that's why i have to undo this at some point and let her die because I can only so the, do this stasis bubble for a little while. So the time warp is more like the skin of the bubble and not the actual contents of the bubble. Like he's taking this little segment of the universe outside of time. Yeah. And like so all, there's like there's like a discontinuity field, which is the, the force field. Like all this stuff happening to him in the house is is like a second for us. Nothing's happening outside of it or, or backwards. Right. All time is going on and nothing is. I don't know how to explain it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not Doctor Who, but yeah, like from our point of view, they're not moving. Nothing's happening, I guess. I don't know. Kind of backwards, but. 
So based on the story of Odin and what Baldur says and everything, the reason that Thor can't marry Jane is not some like innate law. Odin is just being a jerk. That was an interesting thing. And I wonder, I was wondering if we'd ever get the name of this, you know, foxy lady that had his eye when he was a kid or however old he was, because they don't say her name. I assume it's not his wife because it's someone he never actually. Oh, yo, he did. He ran away with her, even though it was forbidden, right? Is that what it yeah. says? Yeah, they ran away together those many ages ago. Oh, Their maybe last it is his wife. over the Enchanted Chasm. Oh, yeah, I don't know. So, yeah, I don't know. But I, I like that Balder tricked him, kind of. That's well, pretty like tr- started tricky. his thoughts along a more forgiving path. Yeah, but I think he did it on purpose. Yeah, no, I, I think he definitely did it on purpose. I think he is totally you know, loyal to Thor and is trying to help dad see the better side of his nature. Mm -hmm. Uh, Loki walks in and tries to trick him and is like, Balder would be the last person to try to trick someone. Right. So he got away with it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they don't really Um, follow up on that. They don't follow up on Loki tattling on him. Like Odin doesn't go after Balder or anything. He just writes the note. I don't don't remember anything from that story ever coming back again. Maybe that's part of his backstory with Freya, but I don't know. Sure doesn't look like her. No. But, her is way too big. But then again, a lot of these Asgardians don't look like themselves yet. So who knows? Um, I'm really glad that Baldar just called Loki on his stuff because as soon as Odin stupidly handed that note to Loki, I almost kind of groaned like, oh, that's going to be the second half of this story is, is <laughs> Loki, same thing. Loki not delivering this letter. But then it got interrupted real quick. You know who Loki is here? Do you ever watch uh, Dora the Explorer? Mm-mm. Okay, Dora the Explorer is this little kid's cartoon, and um, there's this fox, Swiper the Fox, and he always tries to swipe their stuff. Mm. And the way to stop Swiper the Fox is say, Swiper, no swiping. Swiper, no swiping. Swiper, no swiping. <laughs> and then and then Swiper the Fox snaps his fingers and says, aw, man, and he skadooshes away. And this uh. is Lo- Loki is in his aw, man mode yep. at the bottom of page nine. Yeah. Freaking Odin, like, how insane are you to give him that letter? Like, you don't understand? You you lock him up all the time. You banish him all the time. You know like, he's a bad dude, and yet you listen right. to his advice and you give him stuff to trust with. And Aye. you it's know like, the prophecies of Ragnarok. He is going to try to kill you. Yeah, it's crazy. But we got to see cool Balder moments, so that was neat. Like I like the duel, like like Balder risking his life to try and get this antidote, and Thor doesn't even know that's going on, you know, because he's busy doing his own punchy stuff, and it was cool. Cool little parallel stories going on. On page nine, panel five, it says, And so, Baldur the brave, Baldur the bold, Baldur the true and loyal comrade of Thor. And I'm like, Baldur the never going to give Carnilla the time of day because he's totally gay for Thor. He rides. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe. He is super devoted and it's super cute. Yeah. So he's like the Lancelot of Asgard or something. Oh, except for that whole thing Lancelot did. I forgot. He's like the... uh, What's the other guy? Galahad of of Asgard yeah, or more something. Galahad than Lancelot, yeah, 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 Lancelot. Not so much. So, so Thor knows electronics engineering. So that was kind of interesting because it made me think of the MCU. Mm-hmm. I like how in the MCU, Asgard, it may or may not even be magic. It's probably more just like really advanced tech we don't understand, right? And so, like, Thor flying around in spaceships or hot-wiring spaceships, we don't even blink an eye. But in this world, that is not something Thor does. Although I guess now he does because he hangs out with the Avengers and Iron Man and they gave him a crash course on how to 
re-jerry-rigged the wiring of a crazy Joker practical house and and shoot electricity through it. So Captain America teaches judo and Iron Man teaches electronics engineering. (laughs) Yeah, that's like a very advanced course, it seems like, what he just did right there, but... I would. I do not think I would be able to go do that. No. He even has like a wrench out. Look at that on top of page twelve. He's got the tools. Yeah. So essentially, um, I guess what is it? Cobra is hiding in the ducts of this house. So he re- he pulls a wall off. It's full of electronics, and he rewires it to shoot electricity through the whole house, thereby forcing Cobra to come spitting out a hole so he can beat him up. Essentially. Right. Right. Yeah. That he, seems um, like really difficult. He stunned. Uh, what's his face, Mister Hyde? With like uh-huh. a blast ray that kind of like froze him and he never recovered from that. So he does succeed in beating both the bad guys. Now, I have a problem with the way that Asgard is laid out. Why is the doctor's house so hard to get to? <laughs> yeah, because initially I thought it was Loki who was creating these dangers. But no, this is just straight up Asgard. Like This is just the road to Hartle's house. Yeah, like... Loki's just watching, but he has nothing to do with this weird, wispy robot monster thing or the field full of blades for some reason. Or right, the gas. blade grass. Blade grass, gas, rocks. It's like, man, this guy really doesn't want to be bothered, this healer. Right. So, but it was kind of. There's like, who approaches the home? That, so. said, that said, even though it's silly, it also rings very mythological to me, which I think Stan is good at. Like, yeah. I, I could see this being a tale that. Some Norse guy tells. No doubt. No doubt. That definitely feels like a song where he had, you know, fight his way past this and that to get to the healer Mm -hmm. to save his love, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, At the end, when Jane wakes up and Thor says, it is ended, lovely one. You must rest now. I'm Mm -hmm. thinking, does Jane think it weird that Thor is addressing her so affectionately? (laughs) Well, it also says she goes back to sleep. So I'm hoping it's all just a weird dream for her. And she didn't catch that. And he just slipped. Um, Right. I do love the page before it, though, where he's really just struggling with saying goodbye. Like, he knows he can't really save her. He's going to try, mm-hmm. but he, he can't. And he has to let time resume normally because it's going to, like, create a weird thing that, that Doctor Who's going to have to fix. So he just goes ahead to let her die. That was kind of cool. Yeah, he actually he stops the time warp before he gets the healing. Yeah, so, he doesn't yeah, know it's it coming. No, nope, it is a fact, pretty bold moment for him. In fact, it can't get to him until he stops the time warp, if you think about it. like Oh, yeah, probably not. Because that's outside of his time bubble. So Interesting. Mm-hmm. So after this, Hyde and Cobra go away for a while. Thank goodness. I'm kind of tired of them. They're in next year's FF annual because everyone is. But uh-huh. then they don't return until Daredevil 30, which is like really far away because we're on issue five and it's bi-monthly. They're becoming their char- There's a lot of these characters we have now where their whole purpose in life is just to defeat the bad, a good guy that defeated them once. Mm-hmm. That's kind of one note. Like I want, I want some more uh, motivation from them if they're going to come back. I guess because that gets boring. Anything else on the first story before we go on to the next? Mm, cool pinup, Loki the evil one. Is this our first bad guy pinup? Because oh, that's yeah, kind of cool. Might be. Thor's that eternal enemy, pinup. and he's doing the Superman thing. He's breaking chains. That's kind of odd, but anyway. Well, those are the chains that held him to the mountain. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I guess just busted out of those. Okay, the secret of Sigurd. 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 So Sigurd is this really big dude who like likes his forest and doesn't want anyone else to go to his forest. And Loki and Thor and Balder are there. 
Um, they're trying to take a shortcut through the Forbidden Forest of the Mysterious Sigurd, mm-hmm. and uh, he doesn't want them to. So this is superbly written by Stan Lee, supremely drawn by Jack Kirby. Ooh, supreme. Savagely linked by Vince Coletta and sagaciously lettered by Artie Semek. Okay. Wow. This misspelled sagaciously, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> it should be a S-A-G-A-C, but that's all right. We'll just keep on going. Your 10-year-old dad didn't know. No, no, he did not. He was not aware. Um, all right. So basically, Sigurd's like, you can't go through my forest. I'm like, but we want to go through your forest, but you can go through my forest. And Loki says, Thor, you could, um, you could beat him up for being so mean to us. And Thor's like, huh, all right, fine, Loki. I'll go beat him up because I'm not chicken. So he starts fighting Sigurd, and he's losing the battle. Every time he tosses Sigurd down, Sigurd gets back up stronger than he was before. And so finally, Baldur's like, wait a second, dude. Sigurd is one of the Earth sprites. He's always going to get stronger every time he touches the Earth. And Thor's like, oh, really? How about just throw him into space then? (laughs) So he throws him into space then, and they can keep on going. And Thor's like... You seem disappointed, Loki. Did you expect me to lose? And Loki's like, no, not at all, brother. I I, I fully wanted you to win. Mm-hmm. The end. I want to create a character where his entire way of solving all problems is just to throw it into space. It, it's one of those things that, like, it, it would have worked on anyone. Yeah. But it's kind of like a stake through the heart for vampires or, I don't know, beheading a Highlander immortal. Like, yeah. it might work on everyone, but you... It only work. It's the only thing that works on this guy. He should do it to Blob too, because isn't he also all about the ground or something? Oh yeah, you can't move him. Yeah. Um, Actually, um, Gene tried to lift up the Blob, and the ground came with him. Oh yeah, that's right. So that's part of his power. Is it like locks into the ground or something? Yeah. Anyway, well, you could throw the ground into space too. Uh, yeah, this was kind of fun. I like that Balder is just like that Loki. Something's up with this guy. Yeah. Uh, Loki's all only weaklings make idle boasts such as his. And I'm like, really? Really, Loki? He's the only one who's boastful around here? Really? You sure about that? I like on page two how Thor's like, be that as it may, I have no desire to engage in needless combat. And I was like thinking when I read that, really? You do that all the time. And this is a younger you. So you should do it at the drop of a hat. And then by and then the guy's like, oh, yeah? Well, your dad smells funny. He's like, okay, fine. I'll fight you. It's like, okay, there's the Thor I know. Um, I just started reading the Jason Aaron run of Thor uh-huh. um, because he did the Natalie Portman Thor and they're doing that in the movie. So I wanted to have all those comics on my belt. Uh-huh. And uh, the, f- the, the very first arc uses three Thors. You have present day Thor, you have like a thousand years ago Thor, and you have like distant future Thor. Mm-hmm. And the story involves all three of them. And young Thor from like a thousand years ago, he is all about the fighting, the beer, and the sex. Yep. Those are his things. Yep. Makes sense. That's how they did it in the movies too. Yep. Um, there's got to um, be. There's got to be a reason he gets banished for you know, and learn to learn dig to learn uh, humility or whatever it was. He's got to have some sort of lack of humility in order to need to learn humility. Mm-hmm. All right. Should we see what our Asgardian advisor has to say about this one? Oh yes. Let's let's hear all about how fake it is. <laughs> so, Gene Gene, the podcasting machine, is um, a listener to the show and a worshiper of the Norse gods. So he has been writing in his comments and all these tales of Asgard. And uh, the secret of Sigurd, he says, I, I should say Gene Hendricks. Now he has a last name too. This was another interesting story set in between the known myths. As Thor and Loki often traveled together, it makes sense they would be out and about. Or as you say in Canada, oot and a boot. <laughs> 
and having Balder tag along fits quite well. This story was tugging at my memory since I thought that Thor had fought someone like this before, but I was combining two things in my mind. The first was when Thor wrestled with Ellie, who is the personification of old age, and he loses that fight because no one can win against old age. Oh. The second thing he was conflating that with was Action Comics 710, where Superman fights Metalla, who has been updated with a geomagnet that makes him extremely tough when in contact with the ground. Mm. So he has, Thor has not actually had this kind of fight before. Um, Sigurd is actually the name of a character from the myths. He was the hero of the Volsunga saga, which was the basis for Wagner's Ring trilogy, which is wow. a, um, mu- a musical sure. rendition of some of the North myths. Mm-hmm. It was also a pretty common Norse name, so I don't think that this Sigurd is necessarily supposed to have any connection to the more famous one. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've heard Sigurd before as like, you know, generic yeah. Norwegian, Norwegian person. He probably just slapped it on him. Right. So yeah, definitely not uh, based on a true uh, true story, based on a, a, you know an actual myth, but fits in nicely with them. Mm-hmm. Doesn't contradict him like we've seen before. Yeah. I'd like to see more Thor, Loki, Hangout stories we've seen a couple it's interesting that at some point they were like kind of friendly but not really right <clears throat> all right so you want to do tales to astonish 63 tales that's my turn i guess all right so we got a twofer as always we will have now until this stops doing that is with giant man and the hulk start with giant man because he always gets the first story for some reason it's called the gangsters and the giant featuring the mysterious wrecker Sensationally superb story by Stan Lee, absolutely adorable art by Carl Burgos, incredibly imaginative inking by Schickstone, and logically lovable lettering by Spock. I mean, Sam Rosen. Um, (laughs) So it starts with Giant Man training. What is he training? He's training to shrink and grow as fast as possible. So let's all put a pin in that, kids. Um, And then he's doing acrobatics with weights and stuff. But anyway, while... Jan is kind of complaining because she wants to be noticed and taken on a date. The doorbell rings and it's a cop. The cop asks Giant Man to go see the chief of police. Giant Man does this in the coolest way he knows how by flying around endangering people and stuff, getting over there. Um, He makes it to the policeman or the chief. The chief, Commissioner Gordon or whatever, is like being plagued by this guy called the Wrecker. And the Wrecker is a dude who all he does is he's got a hood on his head and he goes around to neighborhoods uh, offering protection, which we all know is a big scam. That basically means pay him or he'll have someone break your stuff up. Police can't catch him, though, because he wears a mask. So it's too hard. So Giant Man, can you handle it? Um, So Giant Man and Wasp take a page from back in the day and they go and buy a store for sale. Uh, It's a hardware store. The guy who's selling it hates the wrecker and everything to do with the record almost doesn't even want to sell the store because he's like you're just gonna hate it and the record's gonna be evil but okay i'll sell it to you so he sells it to them um and they pretend to put up a shop and sure enough uh two thugs come over and want them to sign up for protection but unlike all the other store owners hank and jan know how to fight so they beat these two guys up and not only that they take their money because at some point these guys broke some of their property and stuff. So that'll pay that back. All the, all the store owners are like, wow, you guys are really awesome. But you realize he's just going to come back in full force. They're like, yep, we're counting on it. So cut back to the wrecker. He's beaten on the guys who failed. And now he's going to start plan W. And what plan W is, is all of his 
people or a bunch of teenagers or something. They just start going on a riot, which makes the police have to uh, uh, all be there to stop it and not where the wrecker's going to be. So the wrecker then goes to the hardware store to try and take on um, Hank and Jan. But they're, he's met by Giant Man and the Wasp. He and his group are met by Giant Man and the Wasp. So they start fighting. Um, immediately, the wrecker almost knocks out. Giant Man, because he's got a gas canister, but Giant Man grows bigger and sticks his head out a window. Um, Jan starts taking out all the Wrecker's crew with her awesome wasp sting, but then the Wrecker gets her with a bug killer spray thing. She cries out, Giant Man, help me! That freaks him out, and he goes all Hulk mode on him, gets bigger and starts beating on everybody, looking for Jan. Um, He chases after the Wrecker, but since they're in the hardware store, the Wrecker has all these, like, I guess they picked a bad store to buy because the Wrecker has all these tools to basically hurt Giant Man because they're in a hardware store. One of them is a bear trap. So he opens the bear trap just as Giant Man is stepping closer to get him. But hey, remember that training he was doing earlier about shrinking really fast and growing? In like a microsecond before the thing actually snaps on his ankle, he's, he manages to turn into an Ant-Man and then immediately turn back to Giant-Man again. So he gets out of the trap. He grabs the Wrecker, tosses him out of the building um, and into the, like the arms of all the other store owners. He says, he's all yours. And then he flies away in his armor. No, uh, he's all yours. And then like they arrest him or the police come and arrest him. Um, he finds Jan passed out on a table he thinks she's dead. He tries to resuscitate her with a kiss. She wakes up super happy. Oh, you love me? He says, no, no, I was trying to just keep you alive. And she's, oh, shucks, you're so romantic. And then they, like, fly away on an ant together into the sunset. The end. And they kiss. And they did kiss, kind of. So I really liked this one. Wasn't bad, huh? I mean, it's like, not only is it old school Ant-Man kind of storytelling, uh-huh. But it used Janet and it did some really cool power stuff and I I I I liked it. <laughs> yeah, compared to what we've been getting, this was pretty good. Yeah. Um I bet you that plan W stands for Wrecker. Plan Wrecker, yeah, cuz Yeah. He seems like a really unstoppable villain, you know. Definitely. Definitely an old guy with a store who's like knocking up other stores. Oh, shoot. I forgot about that. It is revealed who he is. He ter- he turns out to be the landlord that didn't or the guy who owned the hardware store they bought it from. Right. Who didn't want to sell them because they just give it over to the wrecker. Well, it turns out he was the wrecker. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of funny. I like Jan's sass at the beginning because he's doing his little shrinky. They're trying to see how quickly he can shrink down to size and back up again. Uh-huh. And she's got a stopwatch. And she's like, okay, okay, congratulations, Blue Eyes. You broke your record. You can shrink to ant size and back up again in less than a microsecond. Mm-hmm. And, and like, you can't actually stopwatch a microsecond. So I'm thinking she's just being sassy. Like, you, you've done it so fast. You're doing really great, Blue Eyes. Can we please go play now? Or so fast that, like, the second hand hasn't even ticked yet or something. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. She pulls a microsecond, though, out of, out of her butt, I'm pretty sure. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Yeah, especially and since it's just a, a pocket watch, so. Yeah, exactly. And I wrote down that page two is very Dragon Ball of him, but I can't remember what it was here that was Dragon Ball. Oh, I know. He puts the weights on and trains. <laughs> yes, that's what it was. And then you take the weights off and you can jump even higher. Right? Goku <laughs> is modeling himself after Hank Pym. Who would have thunk it? <laughs> That's probably some sort of ancient, um, you know, Chinese or Japanese technique or something. Master Roshi is Henry Pym. 
Oh, wow. Way older? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Put on this this uh, turtle shell. I don't know why he would be using turtles now. Well, you know what? He's had like 17 costume identities by then, so, you know, whatever. Well, he really got into the ladies at that point then, because right now he doesn't care at all. <laughs> He held it in reserve for so long. <laughs> Jan has 8,700 year old man. He's just like, I'm just going to let this go. <laughs> John, Jan has never given Hank a nosebleed ever. So no, no, she hasn't. Well, not that we've seen. No. Um. Yeah. It was a pretty impressive move. Like sw- I'm not sure why Jan is, you know, surprised by it because she should be able to see him doing this on a regular basis. But Mm -hmm. he jumps out of his window, grabs his tension hoop, swings through the air, shrinks down to size, snags a flying ant and zips off through the sky. And I'm like, dude. And then when he gets there, he like jumps off his ant and zips back up to giant size and swings himself into the window. That was cool shit. I got to say that's better than what he has been doing with that tension spring, which is basically as giant man leaping out the window and landing on the sidewalk. Yeah. And running around. I thought it was cooler that he shrank to an ant so as to not splat people and land on a ride. That was kind of neat. Um, but yeah, let's see. The, the The plot was old school Ant-Man. Janet was doing judo on page eight. I love that was my favorite scene where the two of them and their civil identities were just like beating up gangsters because why not? Oh yeah, Henry and Jan aren't even in costumes; they're just like thrashing into these hooded bad guys. Mm-hmm. I think that's great. I mean, if you're a superhero, you should be able to take these two idiots. And really, uh, if you think about it, other than the size change, they don't have any other powers. So, like, you know, full size Janet in costume and full size Janet out of costume, there's no difference there. The only thing she has is when she shrinks down and flies and has that weapon. Marvel 60s sure loves judo, though. That's like the only martial arts that exists or something. I'm not sure that we really knew a whole lot yeah. about other martial arts yet. I think you're 70s, right. The 70s was like the kung fu phase. Yeah, that's when like, you know, the Bruce Lees and stuff started bringing that to our awareness. All those movies. Right. Um, Jan does go from awesome to damsel in like two panels on page 10. She's busting guys up with her air gun and then she gets sprayed with DDT. Yeah. I did like how Hank wigged out about it, though. That was kind of fun. Oh, you know, I just realized? He even calls them puny, which is so Hulk. He sprays her with insect repellent, which is exactly what Henry Pym does to her in The Ultimates, which lays her up in the hospital. Uh-huh. Like, he sprays her with insect repellent, and of course, in The Ultimates, she's actually a mutant, so she has insect qualities in her DNA, and so she has a, a what do you call it, a histeous... Well, she does here too, because he grafted antenna and stuff on her, didn't he, or something, or wings, or yeah, yeah. I'm not sure how much it goes beyond beyond the the skin level, but it definitely knocks her out. Well, here's the thing: if you're only an inch tall and someone sprays you with anything, that's probably going to be horrible for you. That's probably going to be horrible. You're right. Like even if they spray you with Windex, you're going to be in the hospital. And that stuff with the bear trap was honestly one of the coolest things I've seen him do. That was very awesome. The bear trap is going over his foot, and before it can snap closed, he shrinks down past the reach of the bear trap, and then back up to full size. And then I like that ultimately the wrecker is not all that big a fight, because he just basically grabs him and tosses him out the door. Because he's just a guy with a mask on, so. He's just a guy with a mask on. Uh, and but then he, they kiss at the end, they even, kiss. Even that is old school Ant-Man, because remember all those, we had like at least three or four episodes where the big reveal was the guy we met. In the beginning. Yeah, like the random dude. Yeah, like yeah. even go back to like Comrade X where mm-hmm. she was, you know, the woman we were trying to save. No, no, she is the bad guy. 
was Comrade X. There was that guy that was stealing from armored trucks, and it turned out to be the guy that hired Ant-Man to stop the stealing or something like that. Right. Yeah. There was another protection racket scheme, too. There was – was it the protector? Yeah, maybe, yeah. Was it he, once? like, had padded shoulders and, like, an exoskeleton to make him look bigger. It was actually, like, old man rubbins or something. <laughs> right. It was, like, some weird magic trick to make it look like he could disintegrate things, but it was nonsense. Yeah, yeah. 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 So those yeah, those were the days. Like, those were the days. We haven't had that in a while. Um, so I'm just going to mention one more time because it's worth mentioning. They do kiss at the end. Mm-hmm. This is actual, genuine, real live affection and love between these two people. And I'm here for it. It's a long time coming. Yeah, I guess he does really kiss her because he says afterwards, oh, I was trying to give you mouth to mouth. But she says, Hank, is that you before he kisses her? So he doesn't really need yeah. to give her mouth to mouth there. She's awake. Yeah, no, I think that's totally, totally a line from him afterwards, because mm-hmm. he says, of course, it's me, dearest. Don't worry. Everything is right now. You're safe. And he kisses her. He mm-hmm. would not be saying that to her if he thought she were unconscious, if he yes. thought she was unconscious. Yeah. Um. Next issue box brags about Atuma. Uh-huh. And I was like, really? Atuma again already? Weird versus, flex, but okay. Versus Giant Man. That's kind of interesting. Uh. Yeah. And then we get a pinup, Giant Man and the Wonderful Wasp. I don't know who drew it. I'm not sure I love it, but it's interesting. Uh, it. It's all right, yeah. And then on to um, the more incredible story, maybe. Or maybe yeah, not. The incredible I don't know. Hulk. We'll find out. Yeah, the Incredible Hulk. A Titan rides the train, introducing, but not really, kind of, the leader and his indescribable humanoid. I can describe it. I'll describe it for you guys. Um, only Stan Lee could have written this monumental masterpiece. Only Steve Ditko could have drawn these powerful panels. Only George Bell could have inked this sensational saga. Only Sam Rosen could have lettered his name S. Rosen. Um, so it kicks off with the leader. The last time, the uh, the, 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 the last issue, because this is all like a big continuous story, but we get introduced to the leader last issue, but we don't really see who it is. It's just a guy with a helmet on. Right. Um, and he's working behind the scenes and he's still behind the scenes and he still has that helmet. And before he takes it off, he teases us with an origin. He used to be a ordinary laborer, just a guy in a chemical research plant who was charge of like throwing byproduct away, I guess, or hazardous waste away. And anyway, there was a gamma ray cylinder in his wheelbarrow or something and it exploded, knocked him out. But when he woke up, he found that he had this voracious appetite for reading and learning. And like before, he didn't even graduate high school or something. Now he just can't stop reading. And everything's actually really great until one day he also has a physical transformation. He goes into some serious pain, falls over. And when he wakes up, he's no longer a generic white guy. But now a green-skinned guy with a huge forehead and a crazy pedophile mustache. So... Where he didn't have any facial hair before. That really, I need to think about that for a long time. I thought about that for a long time. Like, how does that work? But anyway, so now that he's ugly, I guess, or not human anymore, according to him, he's decided to take over the world because that's what you do. He's the smartest guy in the world. He's going to take it over. So he's responsible for that whole, like, chameleon last issue trying to infiltrate and steal plans and stuff. Um, And he gets another message from the chameleon because it turns out the chameleon didn't die in that explosion last issue. He just hid under a rock. So he's still there and he poses as a janitor and he eavesdrops and apparently they are going to deliver a nuclear missile designed by Banner to somewhere and they're going to transport it on a train. And they want Banner to go because it's his missile, even though both um, Thunderbolt Ross and Talbot 
think Banner is suspicious. They can't uh, they can't argue with the Pentagon. They say blah blah blah. And the Pentagon wants Banner to go because he invented it. So back to the leader. The leader has invented this undescribable humanoid, which is basically a big humanoid-looking thing that's pink and faceless and has orange spots on it. It's um, like Baymax. Yeah, but but you know, with more definition and pink. Uh huh. Um, not as friendly, I guess. And anyway, it's super strong, and he can control it with his uh, with a mind thing. So remote control. He doesn't have to actually be there. He has the thing fly in a helicopter to the train, attack the train. People, the soldiers start shooting it. Turns out it's also spongy because it just either the bullets go through. They also just bounce right back. Um, everybody on board panics. They tell Banner to get into a room and they lock it. Like you're, you don't know how to fight. So you just stay in here and be safe. That causes him anxiety though, because what if something happens to his machine? Someone's trying to steal his machine. I've worked so hard on this machine and guess what happens? He turns to the Hulk and no one locks in. No one puts the Hulk in a corner. So he busts out of that carriage and immediately starts attacking this robot. Um, the robot frees, you know how like trains have what do you call them like uh sections or something uh cars cars. they have cars so the train the robot has uncoupled the car that has the nuclear uh, device thing on it but the hulk manages to jump from the train to that device because he can and they start fighting but unfortunately it doesn't really work because the thing is too squishy and the hulk is just basically punching this rubber thing and it pretty much snaps back all his punches he can't squeeze it to death because there's no bones it doesn't feel pain and also it has the ability to shock which shocks the hulk off the train he almost jumps or flies through a bridge an overhead bridge but by flexing his leg and butt muscles just right he somehow flies over it and back onto the train again so we can talk about that in a second um anyway and then starts fighting the monster again the missile or whatever it is starts coming loose because of all the fighting the hulk i can't even remember what he does oh he slams the uh humanoid off the train onto the rail so hard that it breaks the connection with the leader so now the leader can't see the thing or anything therefore he can't control it so the thing's basically just sitting there dead hulk goes back to the train he somehow knows because banner's way way down in there somewhere he somehow knows this is not a good thing for this thing to fall off the train and uh hit I don't know exactly what happens, but he somehow he pushes the thing it's, off it's the a, train yeah. so that it doesn't blow up the train and kill everybody because the train's going through a city. Um, then he turns back to Banner. Of course, they find him there and they're like, hey, we told you to stay in the car. And why are you half naked? And the Hulk was just here. We know something's going on with you and the Hulk, so we're going to arrest you. So we cut to then Bruce in prison wondering what he's going to do. And the leader realizing now for the first time that there's someone out there just like him, also green, probably gamma exposed, but instead of brains, he's brawn and he must be destroyed because he's the only weapon in the world that can stop the leader from taking over the world. The end. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. First leader story. First leader story. I mean, I guess last time technically counts as a leader story and actually this entire arc technically counts as a leader story, mm-hmm. but this is like the first like proper, you know, the leader is involved directly and we can see what's going on story. And he's pretty much like considered Hulk's number one villain, right? I would think so. I would think it's a toss up between the leader and the abomination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. But I think leader is more like the Lex Luthory kind, so he's going to have a better plot, probably. Right now, after all the really interesting head shapes the leader has had over the decades, this mm-hmm. original one is a little bit disappointing. I think it's not quite as uh, cylindrical as he will become. 
Right. He has a cylinder. He has like the the mushroom head, you know, mm-hmm. that I've seen in some places. I remember whenever Keenan was younger and he knew the Hulk and he knew the leader from the cartoons. And we read these first few Hulk stories and we got to the leader. He was really excited, pulls off the helmet, and he's just like slightly larger head dude. He reminds me more of like right now, kind of like a slightly exaggerated version of Sinestro. Yeah. Because just his head is just a little bigger, but otherwise he's pretty human looking, except for the color, of course. Or that villain in the last issue of Hulk number six. What was that guy's name? Didn't he have a big head like this too? I don't know. The Metal Master. Yeah, Metal Master. Same idea. Like, I kind of like it though. It's kind of old school. I know. I, I and I think it's cool that like eventually his brain just keeps getting bigger and bigger. You could argue head cannon. Oh wise, yeah, that, that's what happens. <laughs> head cannon. <laughs> yeah. Really random and short appearance by the chameleon. Like, if you collect uh, all appearances of the chameleon, he's in this issue. Did you know that? Yeah. For two panels. Just wrapping up from last time. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so weird storytelling beat. Um, Page three, the second row, uh, where he's under the rock, it says, Let's turn our attention to a missile base in New Mexico where we find no trace of fallout from the explosion yesterday. Mm -hmm. The area is safe for personnel. The guy's like, what luck? This boulder saved me from the force of the explosion and hit me from Dr. Banner as well. And like, the explosion was yesterday? Why are you still laying there? You think he was like unconscious for 24 hours and he just woke up right now? Oh, yeah, that could be it. He's like waking up like, (laughs) oh, wow, I really lucked out, didn't I? Yeah. Well, they don't say that, though. So that is kind of weird. But Um, do they ever explain the chameleon's whole face thing? Or is it just his how that is? He's not he doesn't have powers, does he? Most of the time, he does not have powers. In these early stories, he does not have powers. He really is just a dude in a mask who wears masks over his mask. <laughs> That's what I was wondering. He's wearing a mask over a mask. That's not his face. Right. That is yeah, weird. Chame- it's weird. The chameleon is just like some sort of weird gimp mask, and he wears other masks over that. So technically, like every face he wears should be like a little thicker than it should be. Right. <laughs> Bruce, why is your head so fat? I don't know. Um. um I kind of liked the the art choice at the bottom of page four where he turns on mm-hmm. the humanoid's camera and he can see himself mm-hmm. looking at the picture. Like, you don't usually get that choice whenever you turn on the camera on something you're monitoring. You see what they see, but you don't have them look at you usually. I feel like we just had a story where a villain had a remote control robot, but I couldn't remember what that story was. And it's fine because the leader, it makes sense for the leader not to get hands involved anyway. So that works. But it just seemed kind of like we just done it deja vu somehow. Yeah, I don't remember remote control robot. I remember he had that robot he was supposed to be testing, and the other guy ran off with it. Um, well, it may not I've be in the some, Hulk. I don't no, know. No, no, it was no, the only robot I can think of recently. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I read some other remote control robots and some other stuff, but not in not in our books. I can not that I can remember. Hmm. Um. Whenever, whenever the leader realizes that the Hulk is green. He does not mm-hmm. automatically say, oh, he must be gamma irradiated. Therefore, he's like asking himself, I wonder if maybe, maybe he's green because he also has gamma radiation. And I just, that little subtle difference of phrasing makes it more realistic. I like can, that. I like that moment of like the first time Joker meets the Batman, you know, like this is his right. gasp. What is that? What is that? Um, and now he has to find out and learn about it. Where has he been though? Never heard of the Hulk before? Oh, yeah. But maybe yeah. he has been unconscious. He was unconscious for a while when he turned to the leader. We don't know what his time frame is or whatever. And maybe he's just never seen the Hulk. Maybe. 
I don't think he doesn't know what a. I don't know. I'm not sure if the uh, dialogue indicates he's never heard of a Hulk before. No, it or says, this is the first time he's seen it. He says, yeah. And then for the first time, the leader really sees the Hulk through the eyes of his humanoid. I thought I was the only one. So it feels like the first time he's ever encountered the Hulk. But I could, I could buy that because he was unconscious when he was a human-looking guy. Then he went into the reading mode, so he ignored news and stuff. And then he turned to the leader and probably went underground and started building pink giant robot things. And if he ever heard of the Hulk or heard stories about it, didn't pay any attention because, you know, why? Yeah, he's busy. Care. He's busy. Right. Doesn't care about he, Spider-Man or Avengers or anybody else right now. He's never seen footage of the Hulk until now. And he sees, he's like, oh, a green monster. I'm green. We could be friends or enemies. It's not a bad connection because, you know, how often do you see green skin, right? Right. So it's like, if you see someone with green skin who has crazy powers and you have green skin and crazy powers, it makes sense to put it together. That's what I say. Mm-hmm. Um, the wrap up of this story with them finding Banner, like you said, half naked out there and they're like arresting him because he's gone too far. I just feel like, I feel like Ditko has taken some of his Spider-Man elements, like the idea of your superhero life interfering with your regular life. And he's like, turned that up to 11 for this monster story. Mm-hmm. Like this guy cannot exist in real life because he's a monster. You know what's, do you remember that um, 60s? No. 80s Hulk TV cartoon? I have not seen it, but okay. I know it exists. Well, let me tell you one major advantage that Bruce Banner had over this one is yeah. when he would turn back to Bruce Banner, his clothes would magically be fine. <laughs> that was very helpful. They, and they never explained it. It was just like a – I don't know if it was a budget problem or like they didn't want to deal with that aspect of it. Because if you think about it, like, man, this is a real problem. Every time he turns to the Hulk – He's now Naked Banner, and no one's ever going to question that or wonder about that. And I'm sure, like, they show the the shirt shredding off his back when he transforms. Oh, yeah. It totally rips. And then he, he would wake back up as Banner and be totally fine with his normal shirt and everything, and no one would know that he was the Hulk. Yeah. Not to keep harping on the Ultimates, but they did bring up the idea that he would wake up, like, you know, naked and not know anything that had happened for the last little bit because he wasn't, you know. Mm-hmm. And in that first in that first big Hulk story, The Ultimates versus the Hulk, he's bouncing around New York naked looking for Freddie Prince Jr. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Who, who, who I only – I didn't even know who that was. Oh, really? When that came out, yeah. He's the voice of Kanan Jarrus on Star Trek – Star Wars Rebels, and that's, like, really the only connection I have to him right now. He's the husband of Sarah Michelle Geller. Well, that's Buffy, pretty cool. Buffy, or and he used, he he did like those '90s romance, like she's all that and stuff. Where like, I don't know. That's the only one I can think of. She's all that, but he did other ones like that. He was, I believe you. He was a flash in the pan, scream era kind of actor guy. Anyway. All right. Any other thoughts on our our Hulkerific hero? No, I don't think so. We still got one more to go, don't we? One more comic. We're just blazing through these. This oh, time. Daredevil's greatest nemesis. I forgot. Yeah. Yes. Yes. This is the amazing colossal. You'll never forget the mysterious masked matador. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Yes. The matador's first appearance in Daredevil 5. It all starts here. Um, yep. The whole arc and saga. It all ends here. <laughs> 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 the man without fear battles the mysterious masked matador. And I'm just going to go ahead and read this personal note. It is Marvel pretty cool. Wants to, 
Marvel wants to personally thank Bill Everett and Joe Orlando and Vince Coletta, who drew the first four DDs, for helping us launch the most successful new feature of the year. This famous trio, three of Comicdom's all-time greats, donated their time and talents until we could find a permanent artist of sufficient stature to continue this highly praised series. And now, we've found him! With no further ado, we announce our newest creative team, Stan Lee writer Wallace Wood Illustrator. So Wally Wood is the new permanent Daredevil artist for all of six issues, and um, which is like a year, so I guess it's not that bad. He uh, he does some slight retouching of the Daredevil outfit. We're going to talk about that in, in the notes. But um, basically, there's this guy who is dressed up like um, a Mexican bull runner, and he stands in front of armored trucks waving his little red cape and that's enough to bother the drivers enough that they crash into telephone poles so he can you know try to steal the stuff out of their truck um only it doesn't go so well because daredevil sees him daredevil's going to stop him though but high above a man who is washing windows or painting the building or something his scaffolding breaks and so daredevil has to rush to the rescue and the matador gets away um back at nelson and murdoch Foggy and Karen are going to go to a costume party, but Foggy is all bogged down with work, and so he asks Matt to take her. He was going to be Julius Caesar, and she's all dressed as Cleopatra, and Matt's like, oh, and Foggy's like, oh, um, and so Matt takes her to the party. Um, at the party, everyone's dressed up, so of course... No one notices when a man walks in dressed up as a uh, bull runner and he uh, just is walking around. Matt, however, recognizes his heartbeat and notices that he goes over to the wall safe and he says something out loud. Hey, you know, if the masked matador showed up here, no one would even suspect because everyone's in costumes. And so I was like, hey, that's the masked matador now. Why is he near the safe? And so all, you know, shenanigans break loose as every one of the room realizes the matador is in their midst. Karen's like, Matt, you're blind. It's not safe. Get in the closet. And Matt <laughs> says, okay, fine. I'll get in the closet. And in the closet, he takes off his clothes. And underneath, he's Daredevil. And he dashes back out of the closet. And Karen doesn't notice. And he goes after the matador. And he and the matador fight. But everybody is shouting so much that it confuses his radar sense, and Matt and Daredevil is not able to do his best fighting. Uh, Matador puts the cape over his head and bops him on the head and runs out the window. Uh, meanwhile, Daredevil's like, oh, I'm supposed to be hiding in the closet. So he gets back in the closet and um, turns back into Matt Murdock, and Foggy, in his Julius Caesar costume, who has arrived mysteriously, walks in with Cleopatra Karen and says, hey, what's up? Um, days go by, and Foggy and Karen are, you know, wondering what to do. The Matador is like robbing this and stealing that and breaking into those things over there. Matt realizes that he loves Karen and he really wants to tell her that he loves her. And then Foggy comes in and says, Hey, Hey Matt. Hey, um, Hey, um, I'm going to marry Karen. Matt's like, what? You've only known her for four issues. <laughs> no, 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 no. I've got this in I've got, I've got a ring. I'm going to propose to her. And since I'm her boss, she has to say yes. Right. This is not how the conversation actually goes. This is just the things that should be said. Anyway, so now Matt's all like, I can't tell Karen I love her because Foggy loves her. And so he has to go through life being sad and lonely. Um, so he decides to turn into Daredevil and he goes to 
uh, newspaper archive room and starts searching through the newspaper archives and comes across the story of a bullfighter, a matador, who was disgraced for being too cruel to bulls. Side note, a matador's job is to slowly and dramatically kill the bull. (laughs) This guy was not liked because he was too cruel to the bulls. Anyways, at one point he was damaged by a bullet fighting back. Uh, He was wounded and so he quit. And now he is back trying to steal stuff. So Daredevil, I'm sorry, Matt is like, hey, I know who the matador is. And he goes and calls a press conference and says, hey, the matador is Daredevil. And later Foggy's like, Matt, what in the, what do you, what do you mean he's Daredevil? We like Daredevil. And Matt's like, I gotta say what I gotta feel. So Matador comes and attacks Daredevil, or actually he attacks Matt Murdock for besmirching his name. He's too proud to be, you know, thought of as the wrong guy. When he goes to Matt Murdock's office, though, Daredevil's there waiting for him and Daredevil and Matador fight, and um, Daredevil wins. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> that's that's about the end of it. Um, and they walk off being all dramatic about Foggy and Karen and Matt and Daredevil. So, you know, remember that Tales of Suspense where the cover was like, you know, Attack of the Unicorn. And we're like, oh, no, the unicorn. But then it turned out the unicorn was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. That didn't happen on this one so much. I thought the Matador was the least part of the story. But yes. everything around him, I really liked. Yeah. Exactly. Like, there's a good Daredevil story going on here. It's just Matador is kind of crap. Yes. And we can start with the art because we have Wallace Wood, who, if anybody knows Daredevil, knows I think Wally Wood is kind of a Daredevil staple for a while, right? Yeah, yeah. He's he's a good seminal Daredevil artist. He's around for a bit. And um, let's talk about his costume changes he makes. Okay. So we got the double D going on the chest now. Mm-hmm. In a different font. It's a different font, yeah, but it's no longer got the little tails on the letters. What are the serifs or something? Mm-hmm. And, um, and he got rid of the V-neck and turned it into, like, just a regular neck, however that works. Right. And he already talked about getting rid of the hood, the backpack, mm-hmm. last time, but it's definitely gone now. So, so fun note, um, eventually I believe it's Wally Wood that will do the red costume for us. Yes. And he's going to keep the double D like this, but then... All the way when Frank Miller starts doing whatever, he brings back the old font but keeps the double D. So it's like the best of both worlds. And that's how Daredevil's looked ever since. That's right. That is how I visualize the double Ds. I do visualize this almost blocky. Uh-huh. Very squarish Ds. But with the more more pointy. I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know how to describe fonts, but it's got little points coming out of the D. Uh, I think his boots are slightly different, and he has mm-hmm. one oh, yeah. strap holding on his billy club, not two straps. Oh, yeah. His boots are definitely different. They're not going to keep that. He's got, like, pointy Batman boots. Right. Well, this is all going away when he turns to red, so. Mm-hmm. And I think his pointy ears are a little more pronounced. So, speaking of visuals, did they create the Matador because he has horns on his head? Like, is, uh, is that the whole the whole inspiration for this weird character? I can see that happening. If so, I am very disappointed in right? them. <laughs> yes, because they're not bullhorns, so it's kind of stupid if that's why they did this. But It's I, like when someone calls Batman's bat ears uh-huh. horns. And like uh-huh. They're not horns. They're bat ears. These are horns. But they're not bullhorns. Yeah. No. I would have loved on page two where he's like got a bird's eye view of the matador doing shenanigans if 
the next panel was just like a billy club hitting the matador on the head and he fell over and the truck ran him over. That would have been awesome. Yeah, but, you know, we could still have stuff with, you know, Foggy wanting to marry uh-huh. Karen and that could have all happened still. We just didn't have to have the matador. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about matadors for a second. Okay. <laughs> okay. So matador is Spanish for killer. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what they do. They yeah. kill bulls dramatically, theatrically, and cruelly. Um, every time a bull runs by the matador, he's supposed to, like, stab a spear into his shoulder. Mm-hmm. And so you've got this, like, porcupine bull running around who's getting slower, slowly weaker and weaker from loss of blood. This is not a fun thing. It's no. a practice that, you know, it's... Okay, I don't want to speak against other people's culture, but there's definitely a movement that maybe we sh- we don't need this anymore in our culture. Which has been going um, on for a while, since at least my childhood. Yeah, well, I'm sure, I think hundreds of years, maybe. Yeah. Um, so the idea that this guy was, was run out of town for being too cruel, either A, he was doing some really, really sadistic <laughs> stuff to the bulls, or B, I don't think Stan and Wally really understand bull riding. Yeah. Yeah, they might think it's just the whole cape and dodge the bull and that's it thing. But that's yeah. not that's not all it is. Yeah. Um, what do you think of Foggy falling in love with Karen so quickly? Well, what I think is interesting is two things. On page four, Matt is like, I thought Matt was already off Karen because he knew Foggy liked her. Remember? Because he read Foggy's blood pressure and all that stuff like last that's issue. That's what I was kind of thinking too. Yeah. But then in this issue, check. in this issue, it's, oh, I can't be with Karen because I could never bear for her to think of me as a disabled blind person. It's like, where'd that come from? I guess because she's constantly trying to get him to have his eyes fixed and stuff. But that seemed a little off off topic. And then later, not only does, does um, Foggy want to um, engage with her, which we all know what that means now, but then right as soon as he gives Matt the ring to check out and ask his advice. The next panel is Matt thinking, how can I propose to her now? What? You haven't even dated her. Get over this. What's going on? Like, ask her out first before you worry about marriage. My goodness. I wonder sometimes how many people have gone from I like a girl to telling the girl I like her to getting married the next week. Maybe that's a 60s thing. I don't know. It's awfully fast. You know the line in Ghostbusters where they're looking at the plans of the building and he's like they don't make them like they used to and Ray's like they never made them like this <laughs> mm-hmm. this was this is relationships this yeah. is not that the way relationships used to be they were never this way right I, I, I would bet money that no one has ever had a relationship like happens in these comics or if they have like if you see a girl and start thinking about marriage and proposal it's because you live in a town where there is only one girl like back in the Western days, you know, or something right. like that. Like, and they right. arranged marriages and things. Like, okay, I'm definitely going to marry Katie. What's her face? Because there's no other option. Okay, and and if we're talking about arranged marriages, mm-hmm. then that opens up a whole other option because you can just see a girl you like and go talk to the dad. Mm-hmm. Like that. That is definitely a thing that yeah. has happened in the stories that I have read. But he lives in New York City, so he could date maybe before he proposes to her. So anyway, yeah. Anyway. Um, what do you think about Daredevil caring so much about whether kids think he's a hero? That seemed to be like a driving force in this story, which mm-hmm. was a little bit weird. Um, I mean, we're supposed to think of our heroes as heroes, and certainly that's a cultural element in the 60s especially. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so you don't want your heroes to be besmirched, but you have this comic coming out right next to Spider-Man, and it's just like, okay, well, sometimes people don't like the heroes. You think he's thinking like, man, I don't want to have a rep like Spider-Man. I got to fix this. Oh, he could be. We could actually headcanon that, that he does not want to be discounted like Spider-Man is. <laughs> I could see him being upset eventually. Like, I don't know, because at some point he gets established as like, you know, the hero of Hell's Kitchen. So I could see at some point him wanting to keep a rep, a certain rep. But yeah, that was a little odd here. How fast they all these kids start playing Matador and stuff. Right. You're talking about what might have inspired Daredevil because he has the horns and he does run into the cape. Mm-hmm. So I can actually almost see the action bit on page nine being like maybe part of the seed elements of this idea and like developing around it. Mm-hmm. Like we well, has this radar sense, but what if there's something physical around his head where he doesn't have the radar sense anymore? Mm-hmm. Like a cape, like a matador, and he's got horns. Wow, you're onto something. He, he charges matador like eight times in this comic. Yeah. And it's like, dude, yeah. it didn't work the first seven. Stop doing that. Come up with a new idea. Which he finally does in the end, and that's how he wins. But it was just kind of funny. Um, we talked some about Foggy and Karen. I did the math. I mean, between issue one and issue five, you know, calendar time is the longest amount of time there can be. And so there's often less than calendar time. So the most of these two people could know each other is eight months at this point. So Foggy, uh-huh. um, and also he's the boss. He wants to propose to their secretary. That's also oh, kind of weird. That's very 60s. They didn't care about that stuff then. You are right. That is very 60s. I've seen Mad Men. Yeah. <laughs> How about the New York Times posting a front page article on New York attorney has an opinion? <laughs> <laughs> is that like modern internet reporting though? <laughs> I don't There's know. There's a rumor. <laughs> like he just has a theory. Like, is that really worth it? I remember. Worth- it was like maybe 10 years ago that like, I'm sorry, go ahead. It's just weird that he doesn't even have anything to back it up. It's just a random speculation and they go with it. Who is he? Right. And it, maybe maybe he is like saying I had to keep my evidence close to the vest or something. I don't know. But I remember like, I don't know, 10 years ago-ish when like reporting on rumors was like suddenly the new standard in internet, like, you know, news reporting. Oh, it's rumored that this might happen. I'm like, okay. So a rumor is when you're sitting there talking to your friend and they say they heard something. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to substantiate it. You're just hearing a rumor. And then you're repeating the rumor, which makes it sound like it has validity. When really, no, it's just a rumor. And that's all we get in the news anymore in our, in our, like, our fan media. It's just like, well, this might happen. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, it might happen. There's lots of stuff that might happen. Oh, well. Yeah, like Comic-Con just happened as of this recording. Oh, yeah. There was a lot of might happens. To where I there just a- I didn't care about any of the announcements because people already had a twenty eight thread count Twitter reaction to something that was just a word, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like okay, let's just calm down until some trailers come out or something. Um, I love I do even though the newspaper thing was stupid. I do love that he tricks the matador with from his ego with his ego or using his ego against him. And I love the panel on page fifteen where he comes in to kill Matt, and there's just Daredevil like standing there with his fingers touching in the shadow, sitting at the desk. Like, I'm here to beat you up. That was pretty awesome. Did did he ask the Matador to come to his office at night? No, he he uh, assumed the Matador would come and kill Matt Murdock because... Um, why, would, why would the Matador come to Matt Murdock after <laughs> dark? That's a good point. Because he doesn't want to get arrested for walking around as the Matador, I guess. I don't know. I guess, but it's like... 
I would assume it's after dark. He's probably gone home. Right? Have we ever seen his home? Does he have a home? I don't know. That, that's a good point. <laughs> we have not seen his home. Uh, at least not yeah. any, any great quantity. Um, um, this is this is only the first time that Matt is going to play elaborate shenanigans with his secret identity. Like, Matt Murdock is saying that, you know, whenever Matt Murdock says that the Matador is secretly Daredevil, he's like playing with the Daredevil identity, and he's going to do that a lot. Mm-hmm. But this really does feel like a Superman-Batman caper from the world's finest comics of this era, mm-hmm. where like Superman and Batman would like blame stuff on their secret identities and then use each other to help make it work out at the end. Mm-hmm. It's a cool fight. I mean, kind of satisfying because he the, the whole first half of the issue is basically him making Matt look horrible, and then Matt finally figures out that he's Daredevil and is better than a Matador. So, yeah, exciting, but a fight. Yeah, it's a, it's a fight. It goes on for a few pages, and um, oh, Daredevil gets in a nice little zinger though. Last page, second panel. You forgot one important thing, Matador. Sometimes even the bull may win. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, remember when he got gored through the back, though? <laughs> <laughs> like, you're treading on some sensitive ice there, buddy. <laughs> and look how he defeats him, headbutting him in the chest like a bull. Oh. Yeah, that's totally why they did the Matador. With his horns. Mm-hmm. Because Daredevil has horns like a bull. Lily's shaking her head at me because he does not have horns like a bull. So, um... That's it. Oh, another pinup, too. There is another pinup, and we have Dave's thoughts on the Matador. Okay. Let me get those up here. Does it just say lame, period? He did not have much to say. Mm -hmm. I think it boils down to, I just want to read his words. Here we go. I said, Dave, you have any thoughts on Daredevil 5? Only that the Matador proves that not all of Stanley's creations were winners. (laughs) Well, we knew that already. We did know that already. Uh, but yeah, yeah well. he is imminently forgettable, but there were some good bits to the story. Um, Does he ever appear some... again? Oh, probably. I think somebody did tell me online that he shows up again. Oh, oh you know what it is? Friggin' Brubaker brings him back. Oh, come on. That yeah, guy. Like he showed up in the 2000s. That guy... Does use or the 2010s, old, maybe I forget when old characters sometime and try to make them cool, but maybe he yeah. succeeded. Sometimes I'll have to successful. check that out. Yeah, we'll see. Um, there were definitely some tropes getting their start here with the whole wanting to marry Karen. And mm-hmm. I feel like, oh, you know what? I was gonna say this Daredevil's powers, mm-hmm. Daredevil's powers were on point in this issue. Like, I oh, feel yeah. like they finally figured them out. Oh, yeah, there was some that that. Bit with the room being too much. There was a cool little like illustration Wally Wood provided to explain why it's not working for him right now. I thought that was awesome. Right, that was that neat. was very good. Um, yeah, I like that. A lot of times there was just detriment to his abilities in this issue. That was kind of neat. Alrighty, so I think we have come to the end of our episode. Mm-hmm. Um, let's do some thank yous for who are following us while I'm bringing those up. Where can they find us on the interwebs? Uh, make ours Marvel, uh, make ours Marvel.com has all the links to how to listen to the show on various devices. Uh, also has links to our social media, Facebook and Twitter. And also if you want to write to the show, because sometimes we read those on the air on special episodes. You could do that by writing to podcast at makearsmarvel.com. Or if you don't have the ability to write that down right now, just go to makearsmarvel.com and there's a cool uh, 
contact form you can just fill out. That works too. Want to say hello to AJ Betancourt, to Mike Reinhardt at Send Aliens to Me. <laughs> I like video game sports, reading and lying in bed, wondering why I can't sleep. And also to Jay Ochtziger at Slurricane72, fan of all teams from Utah and LV, Miami Dolphins, Pittsburgh Pirates, Deutscher Festball Bund, FC Bayern München, Team USA, and Deutsche Ice Hockey. Uh, hashtag Vegas born, hashtag retire 21. I don't know what all that's in reference to, but I think it's all sports stuff. Am I right? Um, maybe. I okay. That's fine. Um, also over on the Facebooks, we have gotten some likes from, or a like from Adam Celine. So welcome to the Facebook family, Adam. And y'all are going to have homework for next week. If you want it, your mission should you choose to accept it, is to read the following three comics, all of which were published in October of 1964 on the 8th. And those are Sergeant Fury 13, featuring the one and only Captain America and Bucky. <laughs> also, we have Amazing Spider-Man 20, where it's Spidey versus Scorpy, first appearance of the Scorpion, and Tales of Suspense 61, where Iron Man is once again up against the Mandarin and the death of Tony Stark, and Captain America fights a Samo wrestler in Vietnam. <laughs> Makes sense. Right. We're going to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> so, yeah, Tales of Suspense 61 is that issue. So we will be back to talk about those three then. Um, you can find me on Twitter at John Reads Comics. I have all my stuff I'm doing over there. Image podcast at all the pouches, uh, super sentai Japanese superheroes podcast commentaries at silly sentai. I'm cooking up my Transformers show at TF UK podcast, tweeting about the Scarlet Witch at let's talk Wanda. And um, yes, that's me. And you can find, so guess- you can find all the things I do at my catch all website, kaisersthegreat.com. But mostly what I do is just the show. So it's not that exciting. Well, there you go. But there's other stuff there if you're interested. So until next time, or until Hank Bim finally gives Janet giant powers so that they can kill her. Make ours marvel. marvel.